Hello and welcome to the Cigar Cast, a weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Crown Cigars and Nails here in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Demon, and I'm joined by a man who tomorrow morning when he gets ready for his breakfast cigar is going to be sorely disappointed, Mr. Shane Reeves. Uh-oh. Has my wife contacted you? She has indeed. So the first lady of the Cigar Cast sent me a text about an hour ago. We're going right into this. Sure. And said that I needed to bring up a breach of etiquette that happened in the Reeves household today. Uh-huh. In, in a household where both <laughs> members... I know exactly what it is. <laughs> in a household where both members smoke cigars and have similar palates in certain cir- circumstances. Let's say you both really like the Africa. So you have his and hers boxes. Sure, sure, sure. sure. Yeah. Um, it would be a breach of etiquette if someone were to maybe hide another cigar in that box thinking that their spouse would never uh, find it. So not only is she now currently smoking my last charter oak. Yes, she is. (laughs) She went into my box of Africas and got it. So here's the thing. I did not clarify or ask her why she opened the his my, box of africas right that's not for my i was i was told to highlight what i was told to highlight and i wasn't going to dig into it so for whatever reason i i i don't know how that happened but yes yeah, she is currently uh, smoking your last charter oak you know <laughs> <laughs> so here's what happened the charter oak connecticut i went and bought a box of them mm-hmm and she decided she liked the Charter Oak Connecticut, which is awesome. That's half the price of an Africa. Right. So I'm, I'm more than thrilled to get her a box of Charter Oak Connecticut's. But she started burning through my box of Charter Oak Connecticut's at such an amazing pace. Mm. I don't know if she, if she was sharing them with the dog, if she was inviting friends over when I was gone. I don't know what was happening, but my, my Charter Oak Connecticut's were rapidly dwindling. So I have a question about this, because you've talked about that before. I think it was when you first got turned on to the Africa, she was doing the same thing about, yeah. like, burning through. Is she like me? Does she find a cigar she loves and then just keeps going back to that same Like well? a terrier with a chew toy. Because you're much more likely to have six, eight, ten cigars in a rotation at any given point. So right. a box lasts longer for you than it would for me, for example. Yeah. So that's what's happening is because she gets on a tear and she finds this cigar that she likes, she, you know, it's it's every well, day, whereas yours is a couple of days, once every other couple of days. Not only that, there's times that I say, you know, it's not been a good enough day to smoke in Africa. Or it's not been a good enough day for this. Or it's been too good a day to smoke this. To, right. You know, and I and I kind of reward myself accordingly with my cigars. And okay, well, I'm trying to work down this section of the humidor and all, which the humidor is thinning out rapidly because we've been sharing with some with some other friends during the COVID thing. But when she gets a box of cigars and she locks in on it, there's it's gone. It, yeah, there's just there's nothing you can do. You're just like, how did you? What did you? <laughs> Case in point. Um, how many are left out of that shut-the-box edition of uh, Hoyas that you bought? Oh, 16 or so. She doesn't like them. Okay. I'm already through my box. Oh, yeah. So you're already up to the point where you're playing the game. Yeah. We played it the <laughs> other night. My daughter <laughs> kicked my tail. <laughs> and I'll, but, yeah, so yeah, that, that box will probably age for a year with us because she doesn't care for those cigars. So I just smoke one and when I want to. And you have self-control. Yeah. But anyway, listen, now that you've adequately got me in trouble... 
and hey, all. Th- hey, that came to me. I didn't go seeking that out. <laughs> I need to know what she was doing in my box of Africans. I, I will. I will readily let you uh, report back next week to us you with know, that information. I think it's time we three D print a cigar box lock. <laughs> I think it's time that we print something that clamps on the outside of a box with a little locking mechanism. Biometric scanner for you. Well, we don't have to get that fancy. Just anything to discourage the, the accidental opening of my box of Africans. Well, my make it like a puzzle box so only you have the combination to it. Yeah, that would be perfect. My, uh, my grandfather used, no, my uncle used to say, um, the locks are only good for keeping honest people honest. Right. Yeah. You know, you, you, if someone wants to get into my car, they can bust a window. But most of the time, if it's locked, oh, okay, it's not worth the hassle. So it's, a, it's the same thing. You don't necessarily need to prevent the box from opening. You just need to make it hard enough that... Yeah, I, ju- I just need to make... You know, and there's there's some things that would be impossible for her to do. You know, if I could get the same technology... She's going to kill me for saying this. If I get the same technology that they use to put on gas cans... To make them child safe, she could never get a cigar out of the box because she tore the head out of one of our gas cans. <laughs> Just ripped it oh, right the off. The little thing where you have to push it in past the notches. Yeah, where you where you align the notches and you gently push it in and it flows perfectly. Mm. Rip the head of that sucker right out. <laughs> and uh, so apparently something like that is all I need. Well, now we have a prototype. <laughs> That's right. Not thanks. And now I'm in all kinds of trouble. Well. <laughs> Hey, uh, like I said, I, you were already in trouble before I brought it up. You, you're just going to be in trouble again next Saturday. She's in trouble for snooping around in my box of Africans. That is between you and her. And uh, so now I've got to find a new <laughs> hiding place. Because usually I just keep them in the truck, the ones I don't want her to smoke. Right. But my truck's at the shop this week getting worked on, so I had to kind of come up with something, you know. Plus, you don't necessarily want your truck, want the cigars to be... Uh, Exposed to that right. amount of heat and humidity, yeah. it, it has it has to be done quickly. So I'm smoking tonight. This will be the second one of these I smoked, and I smoked the first one and enjoyed it tremendously. I almost grabbed one of those. This is the Aganorsa Leaf Supreme Leaf. Um, this is a Toro six by fifty four, and it's all Nicaraguan tobaccos from the Tobaccos Valle de Jalapa Tobacco Factory in Esteli. Okay, and it's excellent. I mean, it's just excellent. It's the perfect cigar for what I want this afternoon. I think it's the only cigar they make that doesn't come out of uh, their factory. Right. Yeah. But um, everything about it, it's, it's oily. You know, you can almost feel the oil on your hands from it. It's rich, but it's not overly dark. It's not overly strong. It's got the shaggy foot, which... Can, can we all do that? No. I want, them, I want them gone. If there was never another shaggy foot put on a cigar for the rest of my life, I'd be tickled to death. See, if, if they announce an edict tomorrow that all of them had to be rolled that way, I'd be ha- happy as a clam. Why? Because you can't test your draw. Why do you make your life harder than it has to be? Okay. You can't test your draw. That is true. However, once you've cut it, you're all in. So what difference does it matter if you can test test oh, the draw no. or not? No. See I mean, that? you can clip a little bit, but you can do that after it's lit, too. Yeah, but then you risk live ash falling into yeah, your lab, setting a, the Labrador on fire. You wish so, you risk so much after you light it. That's, that's pennies. But what I like about it, you know, um, 
certain fireworks, they have the, the fuse that comes out and they've got that tissue paper around it mm-hmm. so that all you have to do is light the tissue paper in it and you guarantee you're going to get a quick, easy light on the fuse of the firework. That's what that shaggy foot does. You're guaranteed to get a good, even light every time. And I love that, especially or, if I'm lighting a cigar in the car. Or you're guaranteed that a piece of it's going to flake off and once again drop into your lap, set everything on fire, burn the dog, whatever. I have burned my inner thigh because I was wearing shorts. Or no, wearing a kilt at the time. That is not a pleasant experience. I will give you that. Yeah, so the shaggy foot, not a great idea. So I love it. I love it. I will. I will take... The, the requirement of a little extra care in the lighting process uh, to guarantee I get a good light every time. Now, my cigar does not have a shaggy foot. Uh, I had to look at it just to be sure just to before. Be, just to verify. This is no, a, but, in, but hold on a second. Okay. In your, the spirit of making life harder than it has to be, yours was hermetically sealed it in was. black lacquer or whatever. <laughs> it was. Uh, <laughs> took a, a team of trained professionals to get the thing open. No, this is a cigar that I have only smoked once before on the show. And it was one of our first 10 episodes. This was back when I actually used to care about trying to choose a different one every episode and not repeat. Um, this is the Illusione MJ-12 Maduro. I, I love this stick. And it's one of those, that it's a little on the pricey side at about $11.5, so I don't go to it very, very often. But it is just such, anything by Illusione you know is going to be good. We're, we are both big fans of Illusion. Oh, yeah. And this has a nice, dark Colorado wrapper. Um, I'm trying to see uh, from San Andreas. Uh, Nicaraguan um, binder and filler. So it's everything you and I both like about a cigar. It's a 6x56, so it's a little narrow for you, but just marginally so. It's perfect size for me. I'm, I'm a huge fan of that 6x56. Um, it's... And, and I can never find the story when I need to, but it's named after some conspiracy theory or the Roswell landing or, or something. Um, I'll, I may try to find that story and bring it up in the second half of the show. Well, it's a great cigar. I've smoked several of those. Um, you know, I like the 6 by 60 but I'm not married to it. I'm happy to try something a little different. But usually when I choose the 6x60, it's that I have the choice of choosing the 6x60 or the Toro. But I'm not going to fault a cigar that only comes in a Toro. Well, and that's something we've talked about many times before. I love the idea of a cigar that only comes in one size. Because if you've ever smoked multiple sizes of the same cigar, you know that some cigars are better in certain sizes. Um, The first time I experienced that was with the big payback from Room 101, like 10 years ago. Right. And I was a 6x60 smoker at the time. It came in a 5x50, a 6x60, and a 7x70. And so I was smoking the 6x60, and one day I had the 5x50, and I went, whoa, this is so much better. You know, so. Well, and I wonder how much that has to do with individual palate as opposed to actual blend. Because, you know, everybody's palate is going to give them a little something different. The reason I smoke a 6x60 is I hate to smoke more than one cigar at a sitting, and I like to spend my time sitting and smoking a cigar. But and it's, all, it's strictly a law of physics for me, and, and it's mental, because it's not that much difference in the time. I was going to say, a 6x56 for me and a 6x60 for you, we usually smoke about the same pace. Yeah, not gonna be much, there's not much difference. It's, it's a mental hurdle that I have been working on. It's when you get into those bigger differences, like between a Corona Gorda and a Toro, or something like that, or a Robusto. 
I used to really like Robustos, but I haven't smoked one in a very long time just because for an extra 50 cents, I get an extra 30 minutes of smoke. Right. I, yeah, that's a no-brainer to me. Okay. First article. This is from July 17th, and remember that date. That's important, folks. Honduran government orders cigar factories closed as of Wednesday. So as of July 22nd. Which is... Which is today. Today as we're recording. And all. But there's an update to this story. There is. So due to the COVID thing kicking up and the number of cases coming up... um, Essentially, they're going back to phase zero, which is total lockdown. Um, Which is what led to the Honduran cigar factories being closed down a couple of months ago. Right. They, They since had opened back up, but... In, and they opened up more than just cigar factories, other aspects of, of the economy. And in doing so, they started to see a spike again. So, okay, if you guys can't play by the rules, we're going to go backwards. Yeah, I hate that attitude. I, uh, I, I understand. I, I think if a government has that attitude, then the government is failing, which a third world government failing is nothing new. But let's jump to the second half of this, and then we can approach it as a whole. Then on the 21st, the article... Which would be yesterday. Yesterday, cigar factories in Honduras to remain open. Yeah. So despite returning to lockdown, cigar operations will continue in the country. The Placencia factory, the General Cigar factory, the Florida Copa factory, all of these are going to remain open. The article doesn't go into why. And that's a that's a big miss. And, and I think part of it is the fact that the original article we talked about came from Half Wheel. This one came from Aficionado. So it could be that they were, it wasn't meant to be an update on a previous story. So I think that may be why they didn't feel like they had the, a need to fill in any gaps. But here's the thing. I, I, I wonder, you know, Honduras is the third leading exporter of premium cigars to the U.S., just behind Nicaragua and uh, the Dominican. Right. I don't think in that order. Yeah, I think it's I think Nicaragua the Dominican was, first. Is, I think they thought Nicaragua was first. I bet you Nicaragua was first. It's it, it's it's very it's not very it, close. Yeah, I hate regardless. to live on the difference. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, we're talking sixty to seventy million cigars a year coming out of Honduras, and I wonder how much of this is. Oh wait, if we do this, our entire economy collapses. Versus how much of this is, okay, we recognize that we need to slow down the spread of the virus, but we also recognize that we need to kind of pick and choose what we shut down. You know, I'm, I'm curious. Well, my complaint through the whole virus, the virus should have never been politicized. And it's been politicized all over the world. Mm-hmm. People have used the virus. And Nowhere they have, quite like the U.S. Sure. Nowhere has it been more atrocious than the reporting of the U.S. And all the article on Facebook last week, Williamson County, 70% of capacity in the emergency room at Williamson Medical Center, which is just down the road from us here. Yeah, they got 20 beds allocated, 17 or 14 of them were full. So they call that 70% like they couldn't get another bed or another respirator or another anything if they absolutely had to, like people would be dying in the parking garage if they didn't. But they didn't publish that. They just published 70% capacity. So all I'm asking for is fair and consistent. If you report to me how many cases there are, report to me how many deaths. If you report to me how many cases go up, report to me how, many, how much deaths went up or down. 
and all. I'm a fan of math, not just numbers. Right. Um, but it will be interesting to see, you know, what this what this does in terms of slowing down the spread, in terms of keeping their economy afloat to a certain extent during this time. Um, there's a, there's a lot that we're still learning on a day by day basis, and there's a lot that's still happening. And you know, I, I don't fault anybody for trying to curtail the spread as much as possible. Um, I think we do. Oh, if if you're a government, I think you owe it to your people, your constituency, or your or whatever to to do it with as minimal impact as possible. Um, but death of your citizens is is considered well, part of the impact, so you have to measure that. What's wrong? You you've you've been more on the the side of this that took this more seriously than I did. I'll put it that way. I, I want to be as inoffensive as possible to your delicate sensibilities. Um, <laughs> that's, that's rare. <laughs> what, what is the problem with just saying, hey folks, you got symptoms, stay at home. Hey, if you come into a factory, we got a little laser here, we're going to shoot you across the forehead and be sure you ain't running a temperature. If you're running a temperature, you got to take yourself home. Well, and, and that's the thing. Um, because, well, there's two different things here. You know, when it comes to a factor, yeah, take their temperature, you know, require a mask. The biggest issue with corona and why we have taken this so seriously and why it's been such a, a uh, is, the, is the possibility for you to be able to be contagious and not realize that you are. With the flu and with the cold, you get symptoms at the same time you become contagious. But everything you read says the asymptomatic carrier numbers were way off from day one. Well, but we those numbers were based on the information we had at the time. Sure, I'm not, and I'm not blaming them, but yeah. I'm saying let's revise it. Let's well, let's quit letting that be the boogeyman if it's not the boogeyman. Right, and and I'll give you that. You know, we still have so much we don't know about this thing, and and so, yeah, the, the mask doesn't protect me from getting it, it protects me from giving it to somebody if I don't realize I have it. So make them make them wear a mask in the factory, increase the number of breaks to give people an opportunity to take it off, drink some water, whatever it is, um, and then t- do temperature checks when they come. That's I'm fine with that. I, a- yeah. Absolutely. Um, as far as the, what was the first thing you, you brought up about, oh, uh, the sick people stay at home. That's all well and good. That's what we do in cold and flu season, except when you have a boss that refuses to let you take a sick day, even though they give you 14 a year, but heaven forbid you try to use them. Yes, I'm painting with broad strokes. Don't look at me like that. The point is, the point... Well, I'm, I'm a terrible one to make a judgment on that, because I ain't had a boss in 20 years right. that I didn't, you know, um, and I think that's because I wouldn't be afraid to tell them to kiss my rump. Well, and that's, you know, <laughs> and, and it's like we were talking last week after the show, you know, if you if you're worried, it's about you know being part of that high risk category. It's your responsibility to stay home and protect yourself. The problem with that is if you have a boss who's not um, sympathetic to your situation, you lose your job. And so you kind of. It, but you know, are we not past the era in life when losing your job is a tremendous? You are. You are when. When you've got a situation like now where no one's hiring. So it's not like, now, if I lose my job tomorrow, I can go get another one. Right. Like you, like we were talking about before the show. Once you've been successful once, you can be successful again. I firmly believe that and agree with you on it. But when you have a downturn in the economy, 
whether it's man-made or otherwise, you know, in this circumstance, you know, bartender losing their job, it's not like they can go out and find another one right now. Because sure everyone's scrambling. They get, but they may not find it bartending, but they can find it digging ditches. They can find it cleaning up job sites. They can find it. Yeah, but if you've got like, like take take me for example. You know, I hold a professional license in a specific industry. Now, is bagging groceries at Publix a little bit better than doing nothing? Sure, but I also don't feel like for people that have had a twenty-year career developing an expertise. And we should be forcing them to, to close their doors and then and then say, yeah, you can still work, but you can't do what you've spent your ent- whole entire life doing. Well, if you're good enough at it, it won't. That issue will never occur. Well, you've got people like um, like musicians right now. Now, some of them are taking taking the opportunity to do drive-in shows, and they're finding ways around it. But you know, if you spent the last you know thirty years, since you were six years old learning how to play the cello. And you find yourself gainfully employed as a member of the symphony, and you're doing what you love, and you've spent your entire life dedicated to the perfection of the playing of that instrument. For someone to come along and say, yeah, that's all well and good, but now you just need to go bag groceries. Hey, if you need to flip burgers for a year and then go back to it, it's not like this is going to last forever. It's true, but at the same time, I feel like like it's really—I'm trying to dance around not saying fair— because life isn't fair, and I know that. But I also think it is a little unfair to say to somebody that that your entire life's work is completely meaningless, and it's on par with flipping burgers. I don't think that. I don't think that's what I'm saying, though. Because I, I don't think that's what you're saying. But I, I can see how somebody might feel that that's what is being said. Yeah, but the reality of it is, if they're a good cello player, they'll go flip burgers for a year, and then when the symphony opens back up, it'll be the first one in the little conductor's black book that they holler at. But it, to but, come back, so but it's, at, at the same time, if you're making if you're making sixty thousand dollars a year as a cellist, you must be with the Boston Philharmonic. I, I can't imagine it's that lucrative career. But that's not the point. If you're and and to go down to twenty six, odds are you know the more you make, the more you spend. So the odds are, if someone's making sixty grand, they're living a sixty grand annual income lifestyle. Most people are. Most people do. I will. I will not yeah. say that's wise because I've never no. lived according to that. But I will say that. But does most happen. people do. Uh, that's why people like Dave Ramsey are famous, and so, so for them to have to shift focus and now take a twenty thousand dollar a year job, is going to come with other burdens that they shouldn't necessarily have to. Speaking of which, Dave's around here. He smokes cigars. He comes to this shop. Could you put your? Could you put? your feelings on him aside long enough to have him on the pod if I yeah. got him to come? Yeah, I could. Because the thing is, is I guess we're, we're just not going to talk about cigars this week. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to him. I don't, I, I don't actually dislike the guy. But <laughs> I, I really don't. What I dislike is the, the, the vehemence with which he talks about his way being the only way and his listeners thinking that his way is the only way. And, and I realize he's got a niche audience. He's got people that are not good with finances. And so if you're one of those people that is going to spend $12 every time you have 10 in your pocket, it's prob- then, then yeah, that his advice is probably good. But there are some er- areas when it comes to investing or budgeting or use of certain types of financial um, modalities that I disagree with. Well, we can agree that in the grand scheme of things, 
if you take the amount of good he's done versus the amount of bad, he's way ahead. Well, and that's what I say, because his audience, his audience by and large, are the kind of people that need to hear what he has to say. So, so yeah, I, I would absolutely put aside any... I, I would actually really like to have a conversation with the man. Like, but I, Well, you know, he did me a gigantic favor in my early life. And I'll, I've had debit cards. I've never had a credit card. At a time when a lot of people of my age were We're going into debt debt with credit cards, I was listening to Dave Ramsey and convinced at that time that credit cards were the next best thing to the devil. Yeah, and and when I was coming up, I was the same way. Um, You know, it just... But at the same time, I've now been involved in kind of the financial services sector, and I understand a little bit more about the background. And and as long as you go in, and this is where I think is so this is why I think is so important when it's any industry, education is key. You know, as a professional, you're the same way. I always take time to educate people first before I try and sell them or do whatever. It's because I would much rather do business for someone or with somebody who's fully aware of the risks, the benefits, the pros, the cons, everything. And so... Um, well, it's becoming a trusted advisor instead of a salesman. Yeah. You know, I can tell you from shopping for cars lately that the reputation of the used car salesman is wholly deserved. It's alive and well. It's it's wholly deserved. I yeah. mean, it's not a stereotype. It is completely, totally deserved. But... That we'll, I want you to put this, and listeners, I want y'all to percolate on this, too. Let's percolate on this. The concept of ruthless capitalism. Because I, when I think of Ramsey and think of the way his business operates, the way he operates, ruthless capitalism kind of comes to mind. Yeah. Um, and it, it's interesting, too, because one, one more thing about Dave is because, he, you know, I used to work for a company that um, has, has a really good professional relationship with him. Uh, and one day he came to the office and was actually speaking, and he was kind of. And I've heard this before. Is you know, as as insurance agents, in when someone comes to you, it's the big. You're not the hero of the story. You're the wise old man. And that's where you say like the trusted advisor. You know, yep. and I think that applies to all businesses. If you have the potential to be a trusted advisor and fill that role, it's important to always remember that I'm I'm the wise old man, the sage advisor on the other person's journey, not the other way around. Well, and you also have to think about the concept, especially when you're advising people, you have to decide, am I called to service or am I called to success? Because if you're called to success, you will not be in service for long. No. Because <laughs> there's a certain amount of people you just can't help. Well, and that's the thing, like, you know, there are many insurance agents, car salesmen, any, you know, name the field. There are people that look at every schmo that walks through the door as, as a dollar sign. And there are people that look at every person that walks through the door as a person. Sure. And, and that kind of is the difference. Yeah. And, the, and you, have to, you have to find a balance. You mm-hmm. can't be all one way or all the other. No. It, it wouldn't be good for anybody. But everybody out there, we're going to take a break and do the cigar under eight. We managed to cover one cigar story. Congratulations. Um, but for a future episode, let's put, put ruthless capitalism down. Because you know me. I'm a, I'm a fan. I know you are. <laughs> it's, it's funny because we talk about so often after the show disagreeing on that very topic. Yeah. But yeah. Let's uh, grab a cigar under eight and we'll be back with more after this. 
Shane here with this week's Cigar Under 8. This week I want to talk about the Illusione Rothschilds. This is a great $6 cigar. Right in the medium range, um, it, the Rothschild being the size is going to be perfect for whatever time frame you have. And it smokes slower. It does. It smokes about the time of a Toro. Don't really smoke the time of a Rothschild. Oily San Andreas wrapper packs a ton of flavor. Yeah, the wrapper is Ecuadorian, Connecticut, Maduro, and San Andreas. So there's plenty of flavor in there. Um, And it's Nicaraguan. Nicaraguan binders and fillers. Just an absolutely wonderful smoke. Um, They come in a box of 50, so your cigar shop has no trouble keeping them in stock, which I think if your cigar is under 7 bucks, you should always ship them in boxes of 50. But just an outstanding smoke. Until next week, try the Illusione Rothschild. Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting across from a man about to get a master's course in buddy cop movies from yours truly, Mr. Trey Denman. What's your favorite? So, okay. So what we have to do... First, I want to state the question. I posed this question to you early this morning while I was having my morning cigar. And it was, if you were given an unlimited budget, blank check, time machine, whatever equipment you needed to make a buddy cop movie, who would be your buddy cop? And just a quick sketch of what the the theme of the buddy cop movie would be. And I'm going to stop you right there because you didn't actually say that. Because one of the questions I was going to have in picking my partner was, is this modern day or do I have the pantheon of... You have the pantheon to the history of man. I've given you both a time machine and a blank check. Okay. Okay. That does... that. Well, it changes a little bit, but I'll, I'll flesh it out when we talk. Well, okay. So a primer on buddy cop movies. Um, the most famous buddy cop movies of all time, Lethal Weapon, mm-hmm. Danny Glover, Mel Gibson, and all those are kind of the most famous, but everybody's really been in one. One of my personal favorites, A Sleeper, if, you ever, if you're ever in the mood for A Sleeper and want to watch something that should be terrible but is a hilarious good movie, watch Collision Course. It's I've heard Jay, of that. Jay Leno and Pat Morita yeah. in a buddy cop movie. And I think I've it's heard the only, of it. I think it's the only movie Jay Leno was ever starred in. I think so too. And all and Jay Leno and he did a good job. And all but you have you know, and then you have Raw Deal or not Raw Deal, um, Red Dawn, yeah. which had Schwarzenegger and Belushi. You have you have this pantheon of this this genre of buddy cop movie. And it's always been one of my favorite genres. And it's always, you know, the most most famous is Lethal Weapon. Probably one of the the best for just guys that eat up buddy cop movies will be Tango and Cash. Oh, yeah. And uh, for just if you want that feeling. And they're always good buddy cop movies. And uh, so if you had to, I gave you the blank check in the time machine and said, Trey, give me your buddy cop movie. Sketch it out for me. I know it has nothing to do with cigars, but we're coming to that, folks. All right. So, um, first you got to tell me who's who's the who's your buddy? Who's the star? Dave Bautista. Dave Bautista. Ooh. Okay. Well, because I did because when I was writing this down, I didn't realize that I had the pantheon. If if I have a time machine to go back to somebody in their prime, Clint Eastwood. Okay. Uh huh. For those of you playing the home game. I am 
about 5'9", 135 pounds smoke, soaking wet. <laughs> smoking wet. Smoking wet. <laughs> um, well, the way the weather's going today, it's about... Could very well be Could possible. very well be true. Um, I am not a big guy. Uh, I, I never really have been. Uh, I'm also, as you know, play the accordion, a bit of a nerd, just kind of whatever. I play the heavy. Ten years in the FBI in the organized crime division. Mm -hmm. I'm jaded. I'm cynical. Smoke cigars, drink like a fish. You know, I've seen some stuff. Sure. Dave Batista. For those of you, Google what he looks like. Plays a super nerd. Okay. <laughs> so, you're, so you're doing the full role reversal thing. The full thing. role reversal. Yeah, he's what, like 6'6", six, six, 280? Like, I mean... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. ripped within an inch of his life. Yeah. Um, famously, so Dave Batista, just since, I, since you brought up a wrestler, you knew you mm -hmm. were going to get this. Dave Batista was a very... Um, very experienced wrestler. He started out in Ohio Valley Wrestling, and Jim Cornette was famous for saying, if I could put my brain in Dave Batista's body for two years, I could make us both rich. He never understood psychology. Dave never grabbed the psychology of wrestling. He understood the physical aspects of it. He understood the crowd. The performance. But he never understood how to make his opponent look good, how to bring the best out of his opponent. Um, he was always, you know, he was world champion several times. He's actually in the Hall of Fame, and I'll under protest from me. Um, but he... Um, he never mastered ring psychology, which right. is a huge part of wrestling. But anyway, just a quick primer on who Dave Batista is, yeah. if you can picture him in his head, in your head. So we're going full role reversal. Drax in um, Guardians of the Galaxy. That's right. Um, super nerd, family man, um, relatively young to the force. Um, came through Quantico as like a, a, in the cybercrimes division, and the main plot point is like a cyber terrorism, like financial fraud thing going on, right? Okay. A, a relatively innocuous crime. No, we're talking like bringing down the entire financial institution. Sure. Through uh, like through, yeah. cyber viruses, that sort of thing. And so the whole idea is that young gun from cyber, but because of the not knowing who it's tied to and thinking there's some ties to the mob or whatever, we end up partnered together. Interesting. I've, so what the, these kind of questions, what makes these kind of questions so interesting is they tell you so much about the person's, the answer the person gives tells you so much about who the person is, who the person, how the person's thought process I'm actually, works. I actually wrote out the whole plot. I'm going to give you my elevator pitch and we'll get this made. <laughs> okay. And I, I don't, I don't, After the show. I don't know. It don't seem very cinematic. Oh. I, I need it to seem, I mean, where's the big fight scene? How does it, what do they do? At Throw computers at each other? Comic-Con. So somebody, like, hits you with a Klingon. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't imagine Comic-Con being a great place well, for Well, but him flight. being a super nerd, he gets distracted by the fact that David Tennant's there and leaves his post. Right. And allows the exchange to happen. Right, and allows so them to pass off that, the... That's your Act 2 climax. Okay. Well, very interesting. I'm, I will give you credit for, for having eight hours to work on it. So as I was pondering my answer to this question, I had to start pondering my co-star... Now, you see, I've got to go a different direction than you. I don't want somebody that's going to make me look, that's going to be obvious that I was the guy, you know, the producer of this movie. And I want somebody that's going to be good, but I don't want The Rock. 
Right. You know, I don't want somebody that's going to dominate every scene they're in that all you're going to be thinking about is that person. Well, that's person. why I went someone who's such a terrible actor as Dave Bautista. <laughs> sure. Um, actually, he was good in Kickboxer 4. <laughs> he, he actually played a Taiwanese kickboxer in Kickboxer 4. He, was, he wasn't bad. But um, so you got to go with somebody that's got the acting skills, that can play any role, but is not necessarily attractive. So I'm going with Ron Perlman. All right. And uh, um, he was the head guy in Sons of Anarchy. He's in a great movie called I Sell the Dead. He was, he was Hellboy. Hellboy. Yeah. Ron Perlman. That's a good call. Because regardless, because one thing, when we're on the set, me and Ron are going to be able to enjoy cigars together. He's a reputed cigar smoker. Um, He's good in whatever he does. He's a classically trained actor. He can do anything. So he's going to take up a lot of the acting chops. And the theme of the movie is we're busting a steroid shampoo rink. And also... Because you got to think about where your action scenes are going to be. You got to think about, you know, I'll get into shape during this because I'll have to go undercover. I'll be, I will be the uns. He can be the old cop that's already seen some stuff, and I'm going to be the young guy that's hired as a consultant to come in. Who, um, I'm a genius for figuring out unconventional solutions to problems. You know, I ended human trafficking in Seattle because I made them quit selling white panel vans, and all it, it worked. But anyway, and all, and then you have that gives you some great gym fight scenes because he is a workout guy anyway. So it kind of gives you some great gym fight scenes. It gives you some great training moments. I get in shape during the sh- the shoot of the movie. I think that just works all the way through. And here's the thing: John Wayne made a lot of movies that weren't necessary about the hero saving to the end of the world, and that's the movies I like. I yeah. don't need the world on the line every time I flip on a TV set. And also, I'm thinking thinking Ron Perlman. Ron, Ron Perlman or Timothy Oliphant. Either of those would be very good. Yeah. Because I, I respect classically trained actors. Both of them are just excellent actors. Timothy Oliphant, he was in Hitman. He's in Justified. was his best role. Yeah, Santa Clara died. I didn't watch much of on Netflix because it wasn't my cup of tea. But definitely... I had to look up Tim, Timothy Oliphant. I, I knew the name. I couldn't place the yeah, face. But everybody can place Ron Perlman's face. Oh, yeah. And all. It's, he, he needed very little makeup. Basically, they just painted him red for Hellboy. <laughs> <laughs> and all, yeah. Really, that's all they had to do. And all. So, anyway, that's, he was actually in an in a, um, episode of Highlander, the TV series. But, anyway, <laughs> enough obscure movie trivia. But as that relates, coming back to cigars, let's talk about this cigar article that she singled out about these very things. Because, you know, cigar smoking in movies. And all, you want to carry this? since you- Yeah, so it's, it's funny. We, we talk in my house. Um, I have a superpower, and I think I've talked about it on the show before. Anytime there's a cigar in a movie, I can tell you what that cigar is. Just a smallest flash of a band, and, and I can usually pick it out. And I'm sure it was just what was most readily available to the PA that ran to the nearest cigar shop. But um, I always look for that sort of thing. And it's one of those things that I, whenever I look at, at movies, especially if there is a cigar element or a smoking element, I've noticed that, first of all, it's always a bad guy. Almost always a bad guy. Or these days, they dance around it um, in The Dark Knight. Um, 
the they're at the mayor's office and he's sitting there with a cigar and a cheap plastic cutter in his hand. Here he is, the mayor of Gotham City in this like high-rise mayor's office, but he's got a cheap plastic cutter. Obviously, no one on the set or the crew knows right what knows that there's better cutters out there. there. And he's sitting there and he's playing with it. So they're obviously trying to show that he's a man of status, right? Because that's what cigars mean to most people. But he never cuts it. He just sets it down and walks. What are you get? Are you having a cigar or not? Right. And it's because, and this is something I learned in this. So this article comes from ParkerPioneer.net. Have no idea what this is all about. Like I don't know this. Um, apparently, these days, if you show smoking in a movie, even if it's contextually accurate to the time period the movie is set in, automatic R rating. And so you have this issue with, um, they bring up one of my favorite Tom Hanks movies, Saving Mr. Banks. Have you seen that? Yes. Phenomenal movie. And... Everybody knows that Walt Disney was a chain smoker, very heavy chain smoker. They couldn't put any of that part of his personality, his character, in the movie because it was a kid's movie. And if they did, even though it was historically accurate and based on a real person's real life, they would have gotten an R rating. You know, and okay, explain something to me. You're a parent. I have no kids nor the desire to have any. Oh, am I going to get to yell at Dare? Oh, this is, all right, I'm getting... Uh, he, he's getting serious when he sets his cigar down. Um, have you ever been sitting watching a movie with Emma and she's seen them do something on TV and just immediately said, we need to go do that right now? No. Well, and here's the thing. like, First of all, I think parents are afraid to talk to their kids, and I don't know where that came from. You know, this whole, how am I going to explain gay relationships on TV or, you know, uh, smoking or drug use or whatever. And and I agree with, you know, keeping, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to go watch, um, I can't think of a, you know, Apocalypse Now with my daughter right now, because there's, there's some themes that maybe we want to insulate her from. But the idea that how am I going to explain X to my kid, talk to them. Talk to your kids. Isn't anything that starts a conversation a good move? Yeah. Wouldn't you much rather them say, what's that? Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, and, and this is where I was. I am so, so I've, I've read a lot of this uh, on this in, in recent years. The D.A.R.E. program, the drug resistance education awareness right. has been one of the biggest flops of any sort of PSA type of endeavor in the U.S. It has been responsible for more kids trying drugs than it has actually kept off of them. And, but it's still forced down our kids' throats in school, whether we want it to be or not. And I have, I hid my cigar smoking from Emma for about the first few years of her life. And then, yeah, and I still don't smoke around her, but she knows that I do and she's fine with it. And I, I, again, I, if I'm sitting outside, you can be out here, but you don't have to be like, you know. Sure. Once she started getting into school and, and going through this DARE program, I would get calls from her in tears about how I was like this horrible person. Like anybody who smokes is the devil and they're killing themselves and they're this and that. And, you know, she even, you know, obviously they're trying to keep kids from doing it. 
not taking into com- into effect into uh, account the fact that some of these kids have parents who smoke, and so what you know, so my daughter, being the smart, educated, and and questioning person, inquisitive young lady that she is, was well, cigars are different. No, they're not. No, they're no different. So. So she's hearing from her teachers that that her dad is like one step removed from a meth addict, and, and yeah, and, and I'm sorry, but I don't feel that that we actually make things better for the next generation by insulating them from everything. I do think there's a time and a place to expose someone to the next level of this or whatever. We want to keep them kids as long as possible, but come on, an R rating because a character from the 50s was smoking cigarettes? Right. When everybody smoked, when they thought they were good for you? Yeah. <laughs> when, when Doctors the, delivering a baby with a menthol sticking out of the corner of You know, mouth. and I, now, I am glad that we have got past the point where, where they were allowed to advertise them as good for you. I am too. But I think everybody should be able to make a an informed decision upon that, and I think they should be able to educate their children as they see fit. I don't think... I don't think that when they see a, if, oh, well, I, that cigar, that's a bad guy, so I'm going to be a bad guy if I smoke the cigar. Really? Do they think kids are that stupid? Yes, they do. Is that it? Yeah, they, they do. They think kids are stupid. And, and I'm here to tell you, they're not. If they are, it's because you made them that way. Right. And uh, so I'm just, I mean, it was interesting, but I was just thinking about our buddy cop movie, and this article just kind of fortuitously dropped into our lap about that. And it does it does raise a question for me too because knowing that like like I said I'm kind of the the grizzled old like there there's a certain are there any good R-rated buddy cop movies? I feel like Oh, all the good ones are R-rated. I I said that backwards. Are there any good <laughs> ones that aren't? Um, you know, I, I think I think Lethal Weapon was PG-13, wasn't it? Um, early, the first, the first Lethal Weapon was, was R. Oh, okay. First Lethal Weapon was R because there was nudity. Oh, that's right. And all. They, they, they toned it down to PG-13, and by the last one might as well have been G. And all, other, than, other than Jet Li beating up everybody, it would have been a G rating. And all, Could but, you imagine? I mean, first of all, who's going to try and do like a, a PG thirteen rated World War Two movie? But could you imagine doing a World War Two movie without being able to show smoking? Yeah, without being able to show them having a cigarette. Even Churchill, you can't can't have a movie about Churchill unless it's rated but, R. Let's move to a different article. This is a, one of my favorite articles of this week. I really want to hit this. And I'll, inside Cuba's new cigar box factory. And I'll this, let's talk about these cigar box. Apparently, I need a locking version for my uses at home. Yeah, I'll have to get I'll have to get with this company and see that. But for a communist government, the way they have described this cigar factory is pretty darn amazing. Mm-hmm. This is either great propaganda or there's some really good stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Ninety thousand square foot building. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Two hundred and fifty workers. And they produce 10,000 boxes a day, and they're trying to get to 12,000 boxes a day. And, uh, and they talk, and it, it's a great article. It's on Aficionado and all. It, you'll have to take a look at it. It's from Charles Barkley. Not the Charles Barkley, I'm sure. From Charles Barkley. And it's about this cigar factory that no, they. It's by Gordon Mott from the issue of from March of, and March April of this year which oh, featured Charles Barkley on the cover. In the world would they do that? They're Reading is fundament, fundamental. I guess so. And uh, so 
this is a modern factory. They're, they have machines there that cut and score, that dovetail the cigar boxes. They're putting solar panels up. The excess sawdust is compressed and sent off in blocks to be used to make smoked tobacco. And it's all it's all sucked up by like a huge vacuum. It's like so they've done a lot for dust containment. You know, typically when we think of you know third world nations, uh, which is not the PC term anymore, but when we think of nations like that and factory conditions in these types of places, we think of what's, str- the, what's the political correct term? Underdeveloped. Uh, underdeveloped. Uh, yeah. um, or at least it usually may be something else by now. I don't know. But, you know, we think of stray dogs running through the factory and, and you know, just horrible working conditions. But if you look at the photos and by all accounts, they've actually taken quite a bit of care to actually make this kind of state of the art for any part of the globe. Taking care of their customer, taking care of their employees. You know, if you look at the urethane room, they have a second to none venting system there. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is just, it's a really cool article that kind of takes you through the process of the factory. You know, I love watching how it's made. I do, too. And uh, I've never stayed awake till the end of one, but I love watching it. That, that's what I use it for. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, it's audio Sominex. And, uh, but the, um, really a cool article. So how much does the box matter to you of a cigar? Almost nothing. I think it's about first impression. I, I agree with that. But then again, you know. The Africa. Absolutely gorgeous box. I mean, you could frame that and put it on the wall. Mm-hmm. It is gorgeous. By the same token, the MJ-12 that I'm swinging tonight is a plain cedar box. Yeah, it just comes in a straight box. There's no frills. It bar- they barely branded the name on it. Yeah. And and so I think there's a, an argument to be made on both sides. I, we give Gurkha a really hard time because their boxes are gorgeous. They spend so much time, energy, and money on the boxes that they've kind of neglected the actual product that they're selling. Yeah, it's so all I do sp- think there's a balance. Well, you have to be careful in life. You don't want to wander through life being all spark, no tender. You are on that kick right now. Yes, and, and Gurkha is all spark, no tender. Their, their, pro- their promotion of their product is second to none. Right. I would say they do a better job of promoting a terrible product than any company in the world. And all, but there, I, I don't think you want to be that much. No. And all, I but think I think a a, a a good designed box should be it should be like it should be like dessert. It should complement you, what you've already done. Now you see, I always I already think less of a cigar when they do the slide top box instead of the hinge. I do want them to spend the nickel and put a set of hinges on my box. Hmm. I, I don't think I have... I, I definitely feel like there's a, 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 a higher level of quality with a hinge box due to, versus a slide top. But I don't know that it really enters my mind for much more than a second. Yeah, it, it, it's a minor thing, but this is, it's just a cool article when you start talking about that. And I'll, all right. Which you get to pick the last article of the night. I give you free reign to pick the last article of the night. You just flash the time to me, so got choose time for one wisely. More. All right, I'm going to do it. Um, Isambar Cigars. I'm assuming I'm, I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, this is a company out of Switzerland. 
that we've never talked about on the show before, to my knowledge. Isambar Cigars releases new line called Paddington. Now, I don't think I've ever gotten as excited about the idea of a cigar just on looks alone as I have on this. These things look gorgeous. They do. They look very, they look good. And I like the recipe. You know, if you look at the Gordito, handmade long filler, Brazil Oscuro wrapper, Indonesian Sumatra binder, Nicaragua Peru and Indonesian filler. Yeah. So you're talking about a lot going into that recipe. Absolutely. And it's it's tobaccos that you and I both really like. We love Brazilian wrappers and Indonesian and Peruvian tobacco. Although Peru, Peruvian tobacco is one of those things we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, about wanting, wanting more so we can develop a palate for it. Um, these look to be the, the El Perfecto actually looks like a proper Perfecto, not what most people call a Perfecto in the humidor in there. 12 centimeters by 58. What's that? Five inches? Something like that. Something like that. Um, You know, it's... So I I did a little bit of research. And so the Isambard Kingdom Brunel was, was the person that the whole company is named after. And the reason that they called this Paddington is because this guy... Uh, is because Paddington Station is the largest on the the London train um, network, largest station. And Brunel was instrumental in in getting that station built. He was also the first guy to build a tunnel under a river. He built the Thames Tunnel in London um, as an engineer. And so just really cool kind of backstory uh, on what went into the name of this this company and, and in this cigar. You know th- what this cigar would be perfect for? This is a perfect cigar gift for the avid cigar smoker that you want to get that special gift. Absolutely. You know, I, I, if I save your child from drowning in a river, this is what you would want to seek out. Because you know, you put this in a cigar smoker's hand, they're immediately going to know they've got something special. Yeah, e- even just by looks, even if they don't know anything about it. And I would venture to say most people probably don't. Um, but apparently Brunel was known to smoke up to 40 cigars a day. How do you have time? I, now, we're talking about 19th century. Some, he died in 1859. At that time, perfectos were much closer to like what we think of cheroots now. Right. So it's, it's doable. Um, cigars at the time were much smaller than they are today. Uh, yeah, I, for, I've looked, though. And as far as I can tell, I don't think there's anywhere to get them in the U.S. So I'm a little disappointed that I may never get my hands on one of these. I, th- I, th- I think you can. I think you can seek them out. I think if a man really looks around and really looks at some of the exporters, I bet you can lay your hands on one. I hope so. And I'll especially give them give them six months to really get out in the market, especially if they're a big hit like it looks like they're going to be. I think you'll be able to acquire one. And I'll. But all right. Give me a rating on the MX-2. Is it a 2 MJ-12. MJ-12. MX-2 is CAO. CAO. Um, it's a 6. This cigar is always a 6 for me. I absolutely, absolutely love this cigar. So what do you get out of that cigar? Chocolatey notes. It's very, very smooth. It's a little bit tighter draw than you're a fan of, and even just a hair tighter than I would prefer. But you don't 
miss anything with it. It, it, it slows down the smoke. It allows it. This is a cigar that kind of grabs you by the neck and says, no, pay attention to me. Uh, you're here for me. What would you rank the strength? Medium plus? Medium to full? Yeah, I think it hits full for me. Okay. It's definitely not a cigar I could put into somebody's hand that was not a a somewhat seasoned smoker. Oh, for sure. But they also make an MJ-12 that's not the Maduro version, um, which is much more square in the medium category. And I think would be, if you can handle the size of the cigar, it would be a great sort of second foray into stepping up, perhaps. Right, kind of a, a step two cigar, so yeah. to speak. Vaganorsa Leaf, Supreme Leaf, the cigar is a six and a half. The price bumps it a quarter. Oh, wow. I'm going six and three quarter because even though this is, you would expect a cigar with the name Supreme Leaf to be a $14, $15 cigar. Yeah. And I would pay $14, $15 for it, but it's an $11 cigar. And I think the MSRP is $10.50. And what I get from it is it's very smooth. It starts out, it kicks you in the teeth right on the get-go. When you first light it up, you know you've got a cigar in your hand. But as the tobacco heats and it releases those flavors in that supreme leaf, you really get the full cigar experience. So I'm, it's a six and three quarter all day long for me. That's excellent. I can't wait to. I might have to go grab one of those. They're excellent. You'll you'll enjoy it like no other. Well, how do they get a hold of us? You can reach us via email at info at cigarcast.com. We're on Facebook.com slash the cigarcast and Instagram and Twitter at the cigarcast. Well, thank you everybody for listening this week. Until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us. Mm-hmm.